Hi everyone, this is Graham Cowan and welcome to the Caring CEO Podcast. We created this podcast because we believe that every leader's number one priority is to build a more caring and resilient team who enjoys growing together. It is my job to interview CEOs and other senior leaders who value building both a culture of care and a culture of high performance. I'm very keen to understand how they do this, and I'm sure there'll be lots of insights and tips for anyone who wants to build a high-performing team. I really enjoyed my chat today with Susie Nicoletti, who is the Managing Director of Twitter Australia. It's the first time in the Caring CEO podcast that I've interviewed a CEO that spent their entire career in the digital space. Firstly, she worked for Google and then for Twitter. She's a California girl who graduated during the tech crash and had a very short stint in the car rental business before going back to Silicon Valley and joining Google. Now, it was at the time they just started the AdWords business. So as you can imagine, the division was growing very, very quickly. She loved how well Google treated people and gave people opportunities to try new things, to fail, to learn, and to keep trying. She came to Australia with Google, loved it, and decided to stay. Seven years ago, she joined Twitter and was promoted to managing director in 2016. Now, what really strikes you about Susie is how much effort she puts into creating a fun, inclusive, and safe culture. And she has one very novel idea about how to keep her finger on the culture pulse. She has two children, uh, five and below, and a husband with a challenging career. So she certainly had to manage work-life integration. Two years ago, she learned the hard way that she can't ignore self-care when she came down with glandular fever and decided to make this self-care a real priority. She also has a personal group of advisors that provide her counsel and insights with new perspectives than the digital bubble, as she refers to it. She has set herself a target of doubling Twitter's revenue in the next three years, so she's not afraid to set an ambitious target. If you find the insights and values of this podcast helpful, please rate us and write a comment. We really want to understand what you're finding most helpful. And remember, if you rate us, it helps other people to find us. Enjoy. It's a real delight to welcome Susie Nicoletti to the Caring CEO podcast today. Welcome, Susie. Oh, thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Susie, we always start off with the same question. What does care in the workplace mean to you? It's a great question. So for me, care in the workplace means focusing on people as the main priority in a pursuit to achieve business outcomes. And it's it's actually a really difficult thing to achieve because it means as leaders, we're treating our, our employees pretty much with that same level of, of care, diligence, and flexibility as we do our customers. And we're taking their needs and values um, as one of the biggest, if not the biggest priority for the business. So um, for me, that's, that's kind of how I, I think about it. And in terms of making that happen, um, having a company that really believes in that people first mentality is, is crucial. Um, so for me, uh, working at, at Twitter at the moment, 
you know, in every office around the world, we have this hashtag called love where you work. You can see it in the entrance of, of any location. And that's sort of our rally, our, our rally cry, our mantra. Um, and it shows that, that we are here to, to run a business, but above all else, we want to create a place where people can come to feel included and valued every day. Um, so that's sort of how I, I think about care. I really love that. Um, and how do you make it happen each day? Is there certain mantras or rituals that you go through to think about that or is it just becoming ingrained? Well, I, I think it's really about uh, about listening. And what's interesting about Twitter and, and our CEO is he's really on this mission to make the inside of our company reflect the outside of our company. So he wants that, that open dialogue, that push thinking, um, that raw conversation. And I think that... Um, what we try to do and we strive to do is make sure that we're always listening and we're always really listening, right? We, we want to make sure that people feel their voice is supported, protected, um, and we have a sense of, of what they're feeling so we can keep that conversation open and we can make that balance happen between, yes, running a business and being profitable, but also making sure we're clear on what we need to do to retain our employees and to stay true to the value proposition that we offered them when they, they joined us to begin with. How do you uh, inspire true collaboration, you know, so everyone feels heard? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's always a work in progress, especially in COVID, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think that that's kind of flipped, changed the game a bit. The way we used to collaborate um, around whiteboards, et cetera, is, is somewhat gone. We, we've been in this journey of, of, of recreation. And I think that for me, the, the best way to make sure that we're, we're having collaboration is one, as leaders being clear, right? I, I think when you think about, uh, when I look at my survey results, people want to come to do meaningful work where they can make an impact. And if they're not clear about what we're doing and why we're doing it, and they don't know where they can actually make an impact, that's where you start to kind of see siloed communication, siloed projects, et cetera. So that clear vision and communication, I think is the first thing about um, having that, that collaborative discussion. Um, and then the second one for us is always making sure people feel heard. And I love, you know, those surveys, we have a, a program called, you know, Pulse, and we run it every six months. But for me, that's not enough. I don't want to look at data every six months. So we actually have a culture team here in Australia, that's a blend of, of um, different uh, business units. And they come together and they, they give me the real kind of the real vibe, what people are saying, what's working, what's not once a month. Um, so I don't have to wait for a survey or, you know, comments to try to interpret what might be, you know, meant by something. I actually get it real and I get it straight. So kind of getting that dialogue going is also helpful again, as I think about how we pivot the business and how we solve for the right challenges and, and keep, keep people motivated around the, the business um, at hand so that they can collaborate with one another. I really like that uh, culture advisors, you know, getting together once a month. I haven't heard of that before. So obviously, how do you select those people to be culture advisors? Yeah. So I, we actually make it a, a proper um, a proper part of, uh, of kind of the remit and something uh, the team aspires to. So within Twitter, there's a lot of focus on two parts of your career. So there's the what you do and your performance metrics, and then there's the how you do it. And that's how we look, we look at things like collaboration, teamwork, et cetera. And that's always a harder thing to quantify. So if you are in, in the culture committee and especially running the culture committee, that's, a, that's a, actually something that's very powerful because it shows your impact, not just to your current role, but across the whole business. So we actually have a lot of people putting their hand up um, to be on this committee. And we do a process 
process for the person that runs it uh, where they actually apply. So we make it something that's desirable. We make it um, a group that people really want to be a part of that they heard, they feel heard being, being into. So uh, that's how we sort of um, promote it. But for me, I, I love it. Um, it actually, the idea came to me um, by, there was an American man out here um, by the name of, I think, Stan Slap. And he talked about microcultures and he said, you know, if you don't know what your culture is saying about you at any one time, you know, you're never going to be able to, to get them in sight and with you. And, and that's sort of where the idea came from. I said, oh, I wonder if there's a way to, to, to get, you know, real time, raw, honest feedback uh, more consistently. So, so we kicked it off and it's been, um, it's been very, very successful for us. Um, I've learned a lot. We pivoted faster. We brought the right things to the business locally that we need to keep thriving. You may be aware of this, but culture actually comes from the Latin word to care. You know, so yeah. it is. It actually means it embodies that care side of things. And uh, how many people do you have on this uh, culture committee? Um, there's about, I think at the moment, there's about eight of them. Eight of them? Yeah. And, and when you get together each month, how does that meeting run? Well, I don't attend it. <laughs> <laughs> so I let them attend it. Um, and sometimes I'll give them a topic. Sometimes I'll say, hey, I've noticed our scores on, you know, communication are down. Let, let, help me out. What's, what's going on? Um, is it, you know, and, and I let them sort of talk openly and then come back to me with some ideas. And sometimes it's as simple as, hey, we, we don't think... You know, in COVID, we love the benefits. You know, Twitter's absolutely leaned in. They've, you know, increased benefits. They've heard us, um, you know, with our specific needs of childcare and Australian expenses. But don't think the leaders are in sync. It was just sort of like mm. one little tweet. We feel like you're you're kind of over here and these other people are over here. Um, and it was it was simple feedback, but we caught it. And then we started to meet as leaders and make sure that our approach to people was uniform so that everyone was having that same self-care experience at Twitter mm. um, during a tough time. So the, those are the types of things that they surface. And I meet with one person uh, who, who just sort of breaks it down for me. Yeah, fantastic. Actually, my wife, uh, she runs a big research group at uh, the Cancer Council. Oh. And um, in the COVID journey, she had a put something in place where each of the team managers, they, they actually met every four o'clock every, af every afternoon and it wasn't compulsory to be there, but people did turn up and, and she really found it was sort of the end of the day, people were lighter in their mood, but they also got very quick feedback on little issues that could be bubbling away. And there was sort of a lot of that with uh, the whole COVID uh, lockdown, wasn't there? Lots of uh, interruptions and changes yeah. and all that sort of thing. Absolutely. Communication was so tricky during COVID. And, and the risk um, is, for me, it's in culture, the risk is always misdiagnosing the problem, right? Mm -hmm. So if you read something on paper and it says, we'll go back to communication just because I've been talking about it, but let's say the communication score is down, um, you can make assumptions that are not not at all right, right? And mm -hmm. so that's where you need those that honest anecdote to really unpack and figure out how to solve correctly with, with the leadership team. So um, COVID has um, 
been fascinating for our business because we were actually already shifting towards being a virtual business. And our CEO came out um, and, and talked about his ambition for, for us, you know, giving that flexibility and optionality to our, our um, employees. So we were sort of on, on the journey. It just really fast tracked it. And I think what we've learned is um, with all the pivoting happening with, you know, America and Australia uh, and, and whatnot, you know, that ability to communicate consistently and, and really stick the communication is, is so important. What have you learned from your global CEO, Jack Dorsey? I've learned so many things. He's such a fascinating guy. Um, and I think in general, what I've learned in this role within Twitter is just that in, in the digital age, leadership's always evolving. Like it really is. An answer I will give you today, to be very honest with you, like, you know, we don't know what the hybrid world is going to look like. Like we don't. It, it just always evolves. And I think a lot of that evolution comes from technology. Um, it's changed everything, right? If you, mm-hmm. you know, the, the speed, the reach, um, you know, we used to have water cooler conversations. Now people are under the table while you're talking, sharing their thoughts on what you're saying, right? So everything's just sped up and that information can go global, et cetera. Where Jack is absolutely phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal and, and really inspiring is in this concept of hyper-transparency. Um, he builds and fails in public. And I think he was one of the first CEOs I really saw do that. Um, we'll launch products openly. We'll get feedback on them. He will fail in public. He will apologize in public. Um, and he, he does this in part to build trust and also to create accountability. Um, so right now we're on a, we're on sort of a journey to become the most inclusive and diverse company in the world. And we're not going to always get that right, but he's, he's committed to doing that in public. And so you'll see him on Twitter actually taking you through the progress, taking you through the missteps. Um, and for me, you know, I always think working for multinational, I'm the, the last row in the stadium, like very far away. And, and that hyper transparency just makes it so clear for me um, and, and enables me to feel that there's, there's trust. I'm connected. I, I get it. Um, and, you know, I, I feel a sense of our culture. Mm. And he doesn't just run uh, Twitter. He's also the CEO of Square, right? How does, he, how does he balance both those things? Either of them seem to be a job in itself. Well, he, you know, he comes to this market, uh, he used to come pre-COVID about once a year um, to, to speak to both um, uh, Square and, and Twitter. And what's fascinating about him is, you know, he doesn't have a, a computer, right? So he only has a phone and he really um, focuses on letting his, his team drive. Um, so he's clear with his ambitions. He's transparent about how we're doing on the journey, going with that, that previous example. But he lets his team step in and drive. And he's got, he does have really all-star teams on, on both companies. Um, so that's been sort of his, his sort of formula, uh, if you will, at the moment is, is to make sure that um, he sets that vision and it's clear, but he's letting great people step up. Um, and, I, and the idea of him not having a computer is fascinating. So it's true. <laughs> it really shows like he's not going to be in there in the weeds. That's, that's for other people to step up and do. So how does he keep uh, tapped in if he doesn't have a computer? What, what, what does he rely on to uh, get 
the best update and know what's really going on? Well, he uses, well, I, I'd hope he uses Twitter, but um, he uses, <laughs> well, the one thing he mentioned when he was out here is he uses his phone a lot. He uses audio. Um, so he'll, he'll actually speak some of the, the emails out that, um, that he ships to the business. So that's, um, that's one of his methods. And then I get, I guess the other thing he often talks about is the need for, um, you know, his ideas to be a big contributor. So he talks a lot about his routine, walking to work every day and, and how he uses that time to think and to ideate um, and that to be really the focus of, of his um, contributions. Mm. Your career started, as I understand, in the car rental business. It, it, it did. <laughs> <laughs> yes. how, how did that happen? Oh my goodness. So um, it's uh, my career has been such a winding journey, but I mean, it's, it's a great story, but the lesson of the story um, is that when you maximize literally every opportunity put in front of you, you create the path to your future. And so my story is I was going to be a technical writer and I graduated in Silicon Valley. I had a job, but I graduated in a dot-com bust. So sort of my intro to technology, mm. um, have a job, don't have a job um, based on, you know, the boom bust cycle that sometimes exists in, in Silicon Valley. So no job. Um, and one of the only companies hiring was this, this kind of rental car company and in the entertainment division. So I, I did take the job. I figured, hey, let's let's learn customers, let's learn, you know, strategy, uh, sales, etc. So I, I took it, and I, I literally rented cars um, to movie stars. And what was so fascinating about that job, and I won't do the whole celebrity stories because sometimes I get carried away. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but no matter what, no matter how crazy the requests coming in were, you always had to find the solution. So nameless celebrity X has got crumbs in the car seat in Atlanta and I'm based in Los Angeles at this time. I need to find someone to go switch that car out to the exact color, interior, exterior, etc., to the liking of celebrity X. And it's such a fun, it's sort of like the devil wears Prada of rental cars, but um, <laughs> you know, what I learned in that very, very, very first job is um you have to, you've always got to have a solve and you've got to go above and beyond for the customer. And that's, it's a, it's a simple lesson, but you know what? I, I've taken it everywhere with me. And I think that that's been my leadership approach has always been over-servicing the customer and very customer centric. So I used that experience to get into Google. Um, and then it's just been a big part of, of who I am as a leader. So I mean, life is ambiguous. You never know what's coming, but, you know, we can either get lost or, or find the path. And for me, whenever you lean into what's in front of you, the, the path opens up. What did you learn from your time at Google? I learned so much um, from my time at, at Google. Google is um, just an absolutely fascinating company. And when I started there, um, I think we spoke about this. When I started there, it was very new, this concept mm. of taking a bus into this, you know, living in San Francisco and bussing to Mountain View had never been done. This free lunches thing had never been done. Um, it was very, very early days. And um, I actually started back in 2005 in the, the sales program. And I remember just having Excel spreadsheets of customers with like missing information. And um, what, I, what I really learned at Google um, was first of all, the power of, of creating a good product because wow, when we got the product right, both in you know my time there in Mountain View, I moved up to San Francisco to help launch that office in the Mountain City. When you get the product right for customers, 
it is, there is no limit to what you can, what technology can do and how it can change the world. Um, and I even just talking a little bit more on that, I came to Australia, it was just a three month rotation for fun. Um, and I've been here 13 years because (laughs) it's just been, it was just done tremendous, tremendous things. So that was sort of, I, I think that one of my, my big learnings, um, from Google, but the second thing, um, is they were, they were actually early in putting people first. This concept of free lunch, this concept of massage, this concept of, you know, all these perks. Um, I remember everyone thought they were, that was a bit strange at the time to overinvest in people. Um, But that was a real live experience. I'm so blessed to have grown up with Google because, um, you know, you put your people first, you build a great product and you have incredible retention in that business. My, mm. my brother's actually been there, I think almost 20 years. So wow. it's a, it's a great place. So yeah. I, I think, um, I, I think I, I feel so lucky. The people that are there were, are so smart. Um, so I feel like I really learned from the, from the best about how to create a great product and how to really lean into your people. Yeah. I saw a study once from Google about what makes up their best teams and uh, you probably, aware of this, but the number one thing was psychological safety, you know, where people feel comfortable being themselves, where they feel they can take risks and and not know that they'll be sacrificed if things go wrong. Did you experience that there where there was just ideas to listen to and acted on and and if they didn't work out, you'd learn and regroup? Absolutely. And and I'm glad you brought that up because that was such also a unique part of the experience. You um, you were required to do, it was expected you could do your job and do it well. Everyone at Google, you know, a lot of people were very successful in the base role, but what helped you move forward in the company was, you know, that extra innovation, that 20% mm. time. Mm. And so no matter what division you were in, you know, you had to be, you know, everyone was encouraged to come up with ideas, pilots, uh, for, you know, anything as basic as how to operationally run a meeting to a different model in which we can show our clients. Um, but everybody was innovating and, um, and yeah, and that really taught me, you know, okay, I, I must have pitched or tried in my nine years there. I don't even know, maybe 20 ideas, but and, and only one or two stuck, but that was actually a part of the job. You don't yeah. don't take the status quo. Um, do what you do well, but then keep innovating and growing. And I think that's why the company, in my opinion, has been very successful, is that you've got all these people constantly pushing the bar and thinking about what's what's next and, and what we what else we can do, because that's encouraged. And I understand you joined, you know, right when AdWords were very much in its infancy, and that's obviously become a huge revenue generator for the organisation. What was that uh, wild time like? Because there must have been just astronomical growth. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it really was. I think, um, I, I guess, thinking to Australia specifically, and yes, you're right, America, it was, it was, it was early, but the product was sort of flying off the shelf. Um, when I came to Australia, though, I, I, that story is fascinating because um, I came out here and people did not believe in Google. I was selling Google against the Yellow Pages unsuccessfully. Wow. Um, and so to, t- to go from there to, to the amazing success of the company today um, is, is, is a huge um, credit to everything that you know, the, the Google team has, has done. So I think they've done a great job. Um, you know, building and, and iterating. And um, I'd say the same for Twitter as well. I think the difference between Google and Twitter is 
Um, when I was at Google, we found a core product and it worked incredibly well. Um, at Twitter, it took us a little bit of time to find to find our feet, admittedly. Um, but once we did, once we've we've actually found our stride, we've zeroed in on what we do better than anyone else. Um, the results have been uh, tremendous, and now we have one of the most ambitious revenue goals out there to double our our revenue in the next three years. Um, and everyone's got a tremendous amount of confidence because we actually we found our way. Finally, we found our our, our little nation. We know how we're gonna we're going to make a difference. And that's, I think that's the fun of technology. What is that niche? Where are you looking at really focusing to get that amazing growth? Yeah. Well, I think what we've, what we've realized is we are the, there's a lot of choice right now for, for effort. And I'll, I'll speak to the revenue side at the moment for the, for the minute. Um, but there's a lot of choice out there. There's a, a lot of different businesses in the market businesses that are launching, businesses that have been here, like, you know, Google, Facebook, et cetera. And what we are absolutely the best at for our brands is being the place where people can come to launch something new, right? So, so phone launches, mm-hmm. um, computer launches, et cetera, um, or connect with what's, what's happening. And that would be like the Olympics, right? That's going to be the big event that's happening that a lot of brands are trying to figure out how they find an audience and align to. And that is where we absolutely excel. Um, where the conversation happens around events, where the second screen for TV around those events. Um, so those two areas we do absolutely best in class. And so what we've done is made sure that we've built a strategy that really um, focuses on the customers that have those needs and, and yeah. clarifies the value proposition to those needs. And there's actually a very large market of, of opportunity there. So we're genuinely in our infancy on that on that side of journey and then our consumer product you know is is following suit it's it's again you know making sure that we're the best platform where people can see you know see what's what's happening and we're continuing to make interesting steps on the consumer side as well as we've seen our our rev our excuse me our user growth um grow pretty uh, strong over the past couple of years and how do you get your team the entire organization behind this vision and and so that they understand the purpose and the benefits and that sort of things what sort of you do what sort of things do you do to help enable that yeah i think um being a multinational it's sort of it's always two pronged because you've got to look a little bit to the top for some direction and, and going to to company purpose, um, just backing that up for a second, that's something that I'm not going to try to alter. That's set from the States. Um, and going back to love where you work, you know, what we want to do is make sure that that mantra, that feeling of why people come to Twitter, how they feel at Twitter is reflected in our office. And so, yes, we've got the, the hashtags. We also do celebrations, um, you know, for people who make them feel personally celebrated. Um, we make sure that we're constantly prioritizing our people um, and taking the best of the benefits of the U.S. and trying to sometimes even do our own here so people really feel that love, they feel that support. Um, and we're, we're leaning into that, that global mission. I think locally, it's hard, right? Because the, you know, there's a lot of the strategy of the states that we can't replicate the whole thing here in Australia. And some of it's not entirely relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do is I actually, again, work uh, cross-functionally with the team to help build the strategy and help us think about what's going to make sense here in this this office, right? So culture squad, as I talked about, that's, that's an Aussie thing. That's something where I think, hey, I think, you know, we've, we're going to get some great global insights, but I want some local ones too. And I think what I'm hearing from the team is we need some some faster action to be happy in this market. So let's do that. 
Um, and then on the revenue side, you know, we, I've got a team that come together when we look at the plan of the states and we think about what makes sense for us here. So how do we, how do we take the best of America and the best of Australia and bring it together uh, in a way people can understand? And to make that durable, um, I often wash it over and I ask people to tell me why it won't work, right? So, so before we ship it, why won't this work? Just, just unpack this. And there's a, there's a lot of people at Twitter who'll tell me why it was. So we're not short on that, uh, which is good. Um, but it, it just makes it a little bit more durable. So by the time we're we're actually shipping something um, locally, there's there's a lot of buy-in before we um, go out the door with it. If you believe like we do that a leader's number one priority is to build a more caring and resilient team who enjoys growing together, you may be interested in these three free resources we've provided at our website, factorc.com.au. The first one is the We Care Credo poster, and this contains the mindset and values of teams that prize self-care, crew care, and red zone care. The second resource is a poster called How to Support a Teammate in Distress. And this provides easy to follow instructions on how to identify someone who's struggling, how to have the Are You OK conversation with empathy, and how to guide them to the help that they need. And the third resource is a Building a Mentally Healthy Culture checklist. And this provides items to think about before you launch an initiative, how you do a great launch, and then thirdly, how to keep the momentum going following the launch. These three free resources can be found at factorc.com.au. When you recruit people for Twitter, what are the must-haves? What are the things that are just not negotiable? No, it's a good question because we've actually, um, the way I think about it, um, the way I think about hiring is, is why would you hire, like, why would you come to a Twitter versus a Facebook, Google, Pinterest, TikTok, et cetera? What's the value prop? And I, I've learned so much in the hiring space because for a long time, we weren't really clear. We're like, oh, we're new tech company launching in Australia, you know, it was very vague. And when you, you kind of create that, it creates a leaky funnel. Like people aren't exactly sure what they've signed up for. And so we try to be really honest, you know, with our value proposition um, and who we are. And, um, you know, effectively we're a company where you're going to come, you're going to make an impact every day. um, And you're going to learn a tremendous amount and love your experience to go on and, and do something better. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's sort of the value proposition. I'm not a Google anymore where this is your silo. You do your one thing well. You're going to come and it's going to be a bit messy. You're going to do a lot of things. You're going to think on your feet, but you're going to make a huge impact. You're going to learn a tremendous amount. We are going to absolutely care for you and grow you. Um, and then you're going to go on to do something else. So being clear on that value prop um, has been a big part of our retention. We have one of the um, lowest regretted attrition's in the world, and I think being clear on that up front has been has been key. Now, um, I think there's phases to businesses, and as the company, we were, you know, we always have parts of us um, that we can't change. So Twitter's always going to be a place where we're we like the people that are, you know, like to swim pill a little bit, push thinkers, um, people that are going to challenge, people that are going to love to get their hands ready. We we need those kind of self starters. Um, but we're also getting out of that startup phase and now we're operationalizing a bit more. So we actually write our questions out um, for every interview. We're clear on who's doing what, who's saying what, 
Um, and we make sure now that we're, we're starting to bring more diversity into the process and diversity of thought. We don't want just one type of person coming in. So a big piece of work we've done on hiring this year is, yes, we need to make sure there is that, that scrappiness, that, that teamwork element. Um, but we also want to make sure, one, there's diversity in the hiring slate, and two, we're getting different different types of people, people that have the operational experience, et cetera, as we kind of take this next phase. Wonderful. When you uh, reflect back on, you know, I guess the last five years, you know, you've done a lot in terms of building Twitter, but you've also, as I understand, become a mum to, yes. to young kids. How old are they now? So I have a... Um, it always takes me a long time to remember. I have five year olds, five and a half, and four year old girls. Wonderful. And how do you manage that life? How do you integrate, you know, a very busy, very intense professional life with the personal yeah. life? It. Um, oh my goodness. A day at a time is probably the the honest answer. Um, but um, you know, the real answer is. That is, for me, that's been the, the make or break is the ability to have honest communication because I was promoted to the MBA job five months pregnant mm. and I have a husband who has a career as well. Mm. And so the ability to be honest with work so so for and, and have trust at work to balance my life. So for example, I could hang up this call and, and message my boss and say, I'm sorry, I've got something to do with the kids today. And there's that trust mm. and that openness that there's, mm. there's on, there's communication. I'm going to get the job done, mm. but I need some flex for the family. And, and Twitter has been exceptional at that. Even when, you know, I got this job and no one said, how long are you going on mat leave? There was no questions. It's like, you're the best person for the job. Come in and do the job. We have a big turnaround to do. Um, and we'll work with you. It has always been sort of the mantra. So that at work, to be fair, is, is a big part of the balance. Because if I can't be honest and I don't have flexibility, it's it's so so tricky. Um, and then the same goes at home. Um, you know, oh gosh, there's been so many different phases. But one thing my I think my husband and I do well is we we take those timeouts, we take those date nights um, to just check in, you know, and be like, where where are you at? You know, are mm. you into the career? Are you leaning out of your career? Um, are you feeling burned out? Um, and we, we keep that conversation open and we pivot, right? And there's times where I'll, I'm, I'm over, I'll say I'm overloaded, right? And, or he'll, he'll say, okay, I, I can step in here. Or sometimes he'll say, you know, this is what I need. Um, so it's just about that open and honest conversation. And, and in COVID, um, we actually took turns. So he was lead parent Monday, Tuesday, mm -hmm. Wednesday, and then I was lead parent Thursday, Friday. So we, mm -hmm. we just swapped our works around. So for me, the critical work was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. For him, it was Thursday, Friday. Um, and and we, we kind of made that work. And this year, we've decided to get a part-time nanny. So we're like, you know what? It's, it's just too much. We got to the year, we're like, <laughs> we need extra help. So let's just do, let's just do that for this year. So it's just about that open conversation. Um, and awareness, because the truth mm. is, with this crazy juggle, you're only going to get so far before you're going to have to pivot again. Like, <laughs> I only plan on setting it, setting it for about six months, and we're going to have to, someone's going to be wanting to take a new opportunity or, or needing a tweak. So it's, it's, that's sort of the, the way we, we try to keep the, the balance going. And I understand you share a Google Calendar to keep, uh, keep things in check. Is that, uh, is that correct or not? I do. I am, very, <laughs> I am very serious about my calendar. It's true. Yes, I do. 
And and I also saw written that, you know, you have uh, two categories of meetings, ones that are quite routine and ones which are must-have. Is, is that uh, how you juggle and understand what your husband is also experiencing as well, those two categories? Well, I think the, I think the way we kind of, we kind of do it, um, I, to be honest, it, it starts a bit with, with self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I prioritize now, which is a big change. And I was having this chat with uh, Didier at Culture Amp and he couldn't believe that I do this, but I actually do this. I, I put the things I need in first. Um, so beyond the kid responsibilities, right? I can't pick up, drop off, et cetera. I can't get around some of those things, but I put my workout time in first. Um, and I put my time in first and I actually tried experimenting and I've kept it with auto decline around that. Mm. So it protects that time that I really just need to recharge. And, um, and it was scary at first to auto decline, especially when important people in America are coming in and trying to put things in the calendar. It's auto declining, uh, you know, maybe not the best look, but what's been amazing, um, I've actually turned off auto decline because it's given me the boundaries in my, mm. in my working week. So mm. I actually can say for the first time, like I, I get enough and my husband can too, or it's like, he feels, we feel an element of balance right now. And there's enough time for, uh, for me, for him, for us, for the family. Um, and then work, I actually generally feel I'm more focused at work and, and more productive. Um, cause the time there is, is, is valuable. I'm in kind of the tier one, tier two. I don't know about tier one, tier two. I try, I do try to delegate cause I have an incredible team around me as much as I know that they, they can do, uh, and they want to do. And I try to make sure that, um, you know, I don't, you know, I don't overextend these areas where there's people that are incredibly capable of, of stepping up and in. What do you do for self-care? Well, I, um, for me, it's interesting. I've always been, um, a swimmer and Mm -hmm. swim since I was six and I've always been a mind over body, make it happen style person, swim at 6am, um, and whatnot person. And, you know, I kind of had a wake up call to be honest, a couple years back. Um, I had two little girls under three. I was trying to run Twitter and I noticed I started to get tired and, and then it just sort of progressed. And then I realized that I was in bed all weekend. Mm-hmm. And I realized I actually did not have the energy to just make it happen. And it was this crazy, in the end, I ended up having glandular fever. Mm-hmm. And it was this amazing wake up call that I had limits. Like I had limits. It was the first time in my life. Like I had to be like, oh, wow, this is no longer mind over body. You've got little kids. You're not sleeping all the time. You've got a lot of stress. Like you have to take that, that care. And, um, so for me, um, I do my, I do kind of my calendar in three month chunks and I, I try to, um, whenever the kids have holiday time, I'll take a couple days of that to reflect and re input into my calendar. So, so each sort of term, um, is a little bit different. Um, at the moment, um, I am really into swimming. That's I'm back into swimming. Sometimes I'm taking a break from swimming right now. I'm really into it. It, it gives me that me time. Um, I'm working towards something with a team and that's sort of my, my kind of release. Um, and I'm into walking. I love walking. I walk about three times a night and I can just see that stress go down when I'm able to just get it out in my head at night before I get into bed. So swimming Mm. and walking are the two things 
at the moment, that's what I'm, I'm leading into. But um, I, I have not forgotten the wake up call of a couple years ago that you can't just keep pushing. You've got to have that balance for your body. So, yeah. I saw you're a uh, member of the North Stain uh, Surf Club. So yes. do, you, do you live near that area, around that area? I do. I live in this area. I, um, I actually was on a Google trip to the U.S. with the then CMO of, I think it was Panasonic. And he, he realized I was a swimmer. And this was literally 11 years ago. We were at Consumer Electronics Trade Show. And he said, hey, come and join the club. And I, I was still trying to find my Aussie roots. And I said, sure, let's do it. Um, so I joined um, and I wouldn't have guessed 10 years later, I'd be up here. And, and my, my uh, youngest, sorry, my oldest is now a nipper. So I'm an age group manager. Fantastic. And yeah. it is a, uh, a lovely environment there on a Saturday and Sunday, isn't it? I um, meet two mates at Curl Curl every Sunday morning and we jog around to Shelley Beach and jog back and have breakfast and it's lovely. And and are you part of the Bolden Beautiful group that swims around to Shelley from Manly? Oh, I love that you're up here too. Um, sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. Not all the time. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> quite fit in this schedule, but I always do the um, – the the swims i try to do the the big swims every year it's my sort of a ritual and my my former boss actually flew out uh, to do it with me this year and we're trying to make it sort of a ritual but i don't always do the bold and beautiful i want to but i don't, <laughs> I don't always make it happen on the time schedule it certainly looks very hard in winter but my, my sister does it every weekend and she has a rule that uh, once you start walking in you don't stop <laughs> you gotta keep yeah. going <laughs> to get I'm, under the water and uh, she does it with the two sons it's a wonderful thing they do each each weekend it's amazing especially yeah. how many people and how many people in the winter and how many people oh there's so happy. many there's so many yeah <laughs> very serious certainly certainly wake you up that's for sure yeah <laughs> and uh, in terms of uh, you know, staying on top of things and being aware of uh, new trends and that sort of thing. Um, obviously, Twitter is a source for you. Do you, do you have any other sources of keeping your finger on the pulse? Yeah, no, I, I yep. thank you for plugging Twitter. I was going to go there. So, yes, I do check my Twitter. I curate. Um, I make sure that I, I create lists so I can get a, a quick sense of what's happening and who's who's been saying what each day um, as it relates to my industry and interests. But, you know, one thing I've tried this year um, is actually just making sure that while we are still in a virtual environment as Twitter, I get to the market uh, every Thursday. Mm -hmm. And if I think about the most important thing for me as a leader, it's the judgment calls I make. You know, it's looking at the, the you know, all of the focus areas, how they quickly they're shifting and where I'm prioritizing my team. And obviously we set a great strategy, as I mentioned, but it's tech. So things change, things pop up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think about for me this year, for example, the, the news code meant that Facebook pulled out of news temporarily. Mm -hmm. And I just so happened to be news. Mm -hmm. So was, was that the opportunity to, of, the, of a lifetime to lean into or something to kind of sit back on the, the sidelines? And I get a lot of these scenarios uh, that come up quite a bit. So for me, um, outside of Twitter, I make a point to be in market once a week and listening and really close to customers, to industry bodies, um, except government, so that I can make these calls better. And I, I, I can lean on my team for some insights, but I also have you know, current local perspective to apply as well. So for me, that's become really important. Yeah, very good. And any particular book that's had a big impact on you? Um, you know what? Oh, I should be plugging so many people right now. Yes. 
<laughs> Womankind, Christopher Ferguson. Um, I'm in that one, so that's a bit of a cheat. You know what? I have to be very honest. I love reading. I'm a literature major. Um, one book I still have that has inspired me um, ever since I was 23 um, is a, a book called Smart Women Finish Rich. And it was funny. I was living in Los Angeles, making no money at all. And I went to UCLA and did a course in personal finance. And I just found it so empowering that I bought the book and I read the book and I've sort of stayed on this trajectory of, I don't know, person like as a woman, personal finance and, um, you know, making sure that I've, I've, you know, stayed up to speed and empowered and, um, that one's that one is has has been one to be honest that um, has always impacted me outside of all of the other amazing books uh, <laughs> that I do have behind me, including Womankind, which is great. Part two's coming out. Yes, uh, it's been absolutely wonderful catching up, Susie. I, I really appreciate your time and and also the real perspective of fifteen years working in two real global digital brands. And I just wanted to ask you, you probably don't know anything else because you've been involved in that environment for so long, but when you come across other industries or other people, what helps you to understand how they operate? I love getting that perspective. It's a great point. I love the companies I've worked for, but you know, one thing for me is making sure that I'm always a part of, you know, boards or working groups mm. where I can get that diverse perspective because I need it, right? Mm. I, like technology moves fast, but you're right. Um, I've I've really thrived in Things like my board at Ovarian Cancer Australia, where we have a lot of different people. We have consultants, we have lawyers, we have um, Ian Jacobs, the vice chancellor at UNSW, um, and just really different people coming together um, to to kind of you know create uh, create a future for a business. So for me, sort of the board and advisory work has been my way of making sure that I get that Australian perspective as well, or that local perspective, or, or something a little bit different. Um, and I really love it. I love seeing how different brands and companies think that aren't just that that Silicon Valley piece that I, I absolutely love, but I know it's it's just one way of, of working. And I remember also reading that you have, uh, you know, you've got a, like a board around you from people that don't come from where you are and they give a different perspective. How did you go about identifying and choosing those people? Yeah, no, I thank you. I, I love the concept of personal board and it came up when I was, I was actually passed for a promotion early in my career that I totally, I thought I nailed. And it was, it was, it was outsider perspective that made, that, that really showed me like, Hey, this is, these are your gaps at the, at this point and, and people that were just willing to be that honest. So um, I, it helped me think, you know, if I'm going to, uh, if I want to keep growing, um, I, I need to get out of my bubble. Like you mentioned before, this kind of bubble of, you know, same type of, of thinkers. So um, the way I, I think about it genuinely is um, one is diversity. So I have, there's six people right now. I actually just had a sit- something come up and I want a perspective that I have about six people I talked to, three men, three women. Um, and I think about different life stages. So I'll share my father-in-law as one person. He was on the leadership team of Westpac. So banking doesn't know anything about Silicon Valley, really knows Australia uh, mm. and knows how things work and operate. And he, he gives me sort of that one area of perspective. Um, I throw to someone else in Singapore, you know, a former boss. So understands me. 
um, and was in this space for a little bit, but also has worked in three different other industries. So I try to make sure there, there genuinely is this, this gender divide, there's industry divide, and there's people at different parts of their life because I don't want to just think like people today. I want to, I want people that have been through some stuff and, and can kind of reflect back and give me, you know, some hindsight perspective as well as people that are currently going through what I am. Yeah, I think it's really wonderful to have that, uh, you know, different insights from different people. And uh, actually something that, um, what was your hashtag again at the beginning? Because it made me think of something that was. Oh, hashtag love where you work. Love where you work. Yeah. I don't know. Sure. One, I think one of the greatest definitions of success is Maya Angelou, who once uh, wrote, success is liking, liking yourself, liking what I do and liking how I do it. And uh, I really think that's gold. And uh, it sort of sounds like it's what you're trying to achieve with Twitter as well. Absolutely. I think um, I think every year I take a break and I think about my why. You know, why why you, you take that time and we, we all work so hard and you have to think like, why do I do this? You know, and, and what's the thing that gets me out of bed? And I think, honestly, for me, it's this feeling of I want to look back at my life and feel like, I really created a workplace of the future where people came together, they did great work, they learned a lot um, and went on to do better things, but they always loved that time in their life. Like that's really, that to me is really cool and really special. And I think that's what gives me the fire to keep being a leader and to keep pushing boundaries about how we can make workplaces inclusive and better. Um, and hopefully I'll be creating a, a workplace that, or a different way of doing things that, that'll benefit my, my girls when they grow up as well. That's such great insight. Thinking back to when you just graduated, you were a, an English major and yeah. you were hoping to get a job as a science writer, a market collapsed and uh, no doubt you felt a bit despondent. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give that uh, 20, 21 year old self? Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the best advice um, is, is having the courage to, to take those risks. Um, and when I think back on my career, I, you know, I almost wish I'd taken more of them. And it's, it sometimes might look from the outside, like I haven't taken a lot of jumps, but, you know, moving to Australia uh, was, was at the time, you know, a, a big leap. And I had about two weeks to make that, that call. Um, or you're right, starting in, in the rental car business, but it actually felt right. And I thought there was something that could be kind of neat there. Um, or moving to Twitter, to be honest, I, I was at Google for a long time and it was doing incredibly well. And Twitter was, you know, not at the time when I moved over, there was a lot of negative speculation concerns of the business wouldn't be around. And when I interviewed at Twitter, no one tried to paint me a false story. They said, we don't know what's going to happen, but you're going to have a ringside seat. You're going to learn a tremendous amount. And we'd love to give you a shot and uh, at, at really being a senior leader. And so every time I've taken a risk, it's paid off. Even when I've failed, um, it's just been a, a tremendous um, learning. So I think to myself, uh, younger self, it's just those, those risks, you know, live the world without boundaries and, um, you know, take risks on what's possible. Seize the day. Yeah, <laughs> Seize the day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, it's been lovely uh, catching up today, Susie. Thank you so much for sharing those insights and, and your journey. Um, as a former recruiter, I always find it very fascinating to speak with people as they evolve their career and the choices they make. And, uh, you know, you've made some 
you know, obviously some really great choices and seen lots of change, lots of action. And, um, and uh, I really love, uh, you know, your why. I think it uh, is just magic and it fits into what the caring CEO is about, that the caring CEO is someone that strives for both a culture of care and a culture of high performance. And I think you really embody that. So thanks very much. Thank you as well. I've really enjoyed our, our conversation today. So appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you've learned something new and heard some practical tips you can try with your team. If you enjoyed this interview today, please rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate us, it helps other people to find us. We also welcome any comments. If you're interested in seeing details about our scalable WeCare mental health training programs, please visit us at factorc.com.au. Our goal for these programs is to make them accessible, practical, and ongoing. If you've been impressed by a CEO that you would like us to interview, please email details to support at factorc.com.au. Please subscribe by clicking the button below. We really would love to have you as part of the care movement. Thanks for joining us.